The world has changed. I can feel it in the dice. I feel it in the character sheets. I smell it in the books. Much that once was is lost, for none now gain who remember it. Welcome to The One Podcast, a show all about the One Ring and experiencing Middle-earth through gaming, with your hosts, J.M., Richard, Ben, Calvin, and Chris. Greetings, and welcome back to the Green Dragon Inn. I'm Calvin, and tonight I'm joined by Richard and Chris. What's the hall? Hello, Internet. Unfortunately, J.M. and Ben aren't able to join us for tonight, but... Uh, I think we will still have a fantastic episode for you. So, gentlemen, what do we have going on at your varying gaming tables? Well, at my gaming table, we've got a couple of things going. One is um, uh, my ongoing tour campaign, of course. And um, uh, it's it's fun because we are finally getting, um, getting some Nazgul involved. And um, that is, is upping the stakes for everyone probably more than they realize. So, uh, yeah. Um, and then also I'm running a, this is a kind of an interesting project. I am running 12 session Numenera campaign and I'm doing one session a month for the, for the year and it is with a group, which has never played a tabletop role playing game before. And there are seven of them. Oh, uh, very fun. Yeah. So it's pretty, it's pretty exciting. It's very fun. They're, they're all very good at the, the role-playing aspects. Need a little help with the, the, the crunchy bits, but it's new Monero, so it's pretty forgiving and that's going yeah. very well. Um, I really, um, I really enjoy uh, the whole getting to sort of enforce consequences aspect of running games, which I, which is something I learned from JM, I think. <laughs> and um, and so we have a lot of that going on in our campaign right now. So yeah, it's it's a, it's a really good time. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Chris. Um. Well, let's see. We have the fifth edition game that we've been playing in Calvin, JM, and myself, and that's still going on, and it's awesome. Are you guys shoveling uh, any Quagga poo lately? Like in in my head, no. that's the Quagga pool poo game now. Yes, that that yeah, that will I will not live that down ever. I think. <laughs> yes, do, um, don't worry. It is not just your head that it is the Quagga poo game. It gets brought up <laughs> at least once a session. Excellent. Yes. Oh, so yeah, we have that. And other than that, um, let's see. I've been doing some planning for Starfest, which is a con here in, in Colorado that's going to go on in March, and I'm running running some games for that. What are you running? So I've been prepping for that. I am going to be running the Fantasy Flight Games uh, Star Wars mm-hmm. uh, RPG, and then I will actually also be running a session of the Dragon Age RPG from uh, Green Ronin. Cool. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, other than that, this last weekend, JM, Calvin, myself, and our buddy Luke uh, kicked off an Infinity campaign 
not the RPG, the, uh, the skirmish game. And that was an absolute blast. Um, awesome. That's what I, yeah. And that's what I got going on. What about you, Calvin? Uh, so I have this fifth edition Quagath Pooh game going on as well as an infinity campaign. I'm, Fortunately for myself, not planning for Starfest, um, yeah. but I am trying to put together some thoughts for a uh, Fantasy Flight Force and Destiny game. Uh, had some ideas, and I'm trying to get that planned out that maybe I can yes. get on the table at some point. Awesome. Very good. All right. So what do you say we dig a bit into the One Ring? Let's do it. I suppose. Great. So for all you <laughs> listeners out there, grab yourself a pint or three, tuck your beards into your belts, and gather around as we continue our series on heroic cultures. Tonight we'll be doing an in-depth look at the dwarves of the Lonely Mountains. And talking about how yes. much Calvin hates dwarves. <laughs> Something like that, yes. I think it's Chris who hates them, actually. But... Oh. Um, that's right. Oh, that's blasphemy. That is <laughs> right. blasphemy right there. All right. Look, well, then you either you either like dwarves or you're wrong. So I'm just putting that out there now. All right. So <laughs> with that to start us off, uh, Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the dwarves in the One Ring? In the One Ring, um, well. The dwarves in the game are, you know, my kind of dwarves. I really like them. They they're short, are, bearded, and grumpy. They're short. They yeah. <laughs> or was that sneezy? Sneezy. Uh, ha 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 ha. They are <laughs> the you know stubborn, gold-loving. Always remember um, the wrongs committed against them kind of people that I love. Um, they are, I mean, they, they, they don't seem, at least to me, looking through the, um, the book, all that different from the way dwarves are portrayed in other uh, role-playing games. Um, but uh, um, Except very importantly that Tolkien did it. First. Yes, very importantly, Tolkien did it first, and he did it right. And people have, uh, you know, obviously went, well, you know, if you did it right the first time, there's not much sense in changing it, and it's awesome. Now, Chris, now, <laughs> now Christopher, I, I do yes. have to say, Tolkien stores are not without their flaws. No, 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 I, I agree. They're, you know, <clears> yeah. <throat> other than that, they're, they're, you know, you're, you're, they're stubborn. They. Um, like I said, they remember every wrong committed against their people. They have uh, done some great things in the world, but they've also had some terrible things happen to them. Um, but at this point in the game, they have just reclaimed uh, Erebor. They are um, actually a rich culture. Uh, they're kind of fairly new in that you know they've just reclaimed their kingdom, but they seem to be uh, one of the more powerful, if not the most powerful power uh, of the free peoples in the, in the northern part of the world. Certainly the wealthiest. Yes. All right. Um, so cultural blessing. What, what do we have for the dwarves here? It's awesome. 
I need to come up with another word. I've used awesome a lot of times already to talk about the dwarves, but I really like their cultural blessing. Um, it is redoubtable. And basically they, um, they subtract their favorite heart score from um, their encumbrance rating to find their fatigue threshold. I'm going to say it again. Is awesome. That is, that is pretty awesome, <laughs> I will admit. It is definitely pretty awesome. And, you know, it's a good... We talk about the legendary stubbornness of the dwarves, which is certainly true, but uh, you can also think of, you know, some of the examples of the dwarves that we have in the fiction. And specifically, yes. um, obviously, you've got Gimli, who manages to... Um, keep up quite well with Aragorn and Legolas, but you also have the all of the well honestly all of the crap that the you know that the dwarves went through um in the long years leading up to the retaking of Erebor. You have the uh you know being dispossessed from Erebor and then the dwarf and the goblin war and um some really, really rough stuff that they go through in the fiction. And I think that, you know, so that that idea that these are people who are are sturdy but they're not just sturdy because dwarves are genetically sturdy though that is the case they're sturdy because they've been through some really rough stuff and they've had to become this way yeah yeah definitely outside of Erebor what's going on with the dwarves at this point in time Richard so outside of Erebor um actually to, to sort of back up a little bit and talk about a couple of the things I just mentioned. Um, so obviously several hundred years before the events of the One Ring and before the events of The Hobbit, the dwarves of Erebor were dispossessed of their, of their homeland. Um, this is not the first time the, the folk of Durin, which is essentially this particular clan, I suppose you would say, or tribe of dwarves, um, all of the dwarves you meet in Tolkien's works, with one exception, are Durin's folk. And Durin's folk have the wealth of all of the dwarves um, because of their because of their their mithril mines in Moria. But of course, we all know the story of what happened there in Moria. The dwarves delved too greedily and too deep, and they woke the Balrog, um, Durin's bane, which drove them out. Um, at that point, they sort of scattered and wandered. Some of them went to the uh, Blue Mountains um, in uh, in Belagost, where there's an ancient dwarven settlement that's been there all the, uh, ever since the First Age. Um, and in fact, that is that may be where several important things like like Narsil were forged. And then uh, a lot of them went other places as well. As well, they went into the Grey Mountains, where they did not find a lot of gold, but they did find a lot of iron. And um, then, of course, uh, they went to the Alps Iron and, and founded a very successful colony. But the wealthiest of them are the ones who found um, Erebor, the Lonely Mountain. And beneath it, in addition to gold, silver, gems, those sorts of things, they found the great treasure of the dwarves, the Arkenstone of Thrain, um, which is this enormous and, and very, very unique gem. The dwarves of Erebor become fabulously wealthy and there are in fact uh, um, um, great stories of their wealth and uh, the prosperous trade that they do with the Northmen of Wildermen, um, the ancestors of most of the uh, the Manish cultures we'll be talking about in, the, in this series. Eventually though, um, all of that wealth attracts some attention. Um, it turns out several of the dwarves in the Grey Mountains 
had already been having with, uh, with, with dragons, specifically the cold drakes. There's a fairly notable one named Skava who drove um, out the dwarves from one of their particular strongholds a long time ago. And in fact, Skava was, is killed by one of the ancestors of the Rohirrim. But the wealth of Erebor attracts the attention of the last great winged dragon in Middle-earth, Smaug the Golden. Um, and he descends upon Erebor, drives the dwarves, dwarves forth, and from that point forward, the dwarves once again become a people who go into exile. Um, it's during this that they try to go and retake Moria. Um, um, Thrain is uh, uh, killed in the process, he's beheaded. It's quite interesting, if you're into dwarves, um, the, the whole story of, of the folk of Durin in there, um, it's either Appendix E or Appendix F, is very, very moving. And uh, the, the, the Dwarf and Goblin War, the, the folk of Durin call all of the dwarves from the corners of the world to basically uh, to war against the, dwar the goblins of the Misty Mountains. And there's a terrible, terrible battle outside the Gate of Moria. And the dwarves are the goblins. Sorry, are eventually uh, routed. They are defeated. Um, it is in that battle which a very young Thorin gets his surname Oaken Shield, um, and uh, the goblins of the Misty Mountains are scattered. And the dwarves, the the folk of Durin, want to retake Moria, but the other dwarves say, "No, we've lost enough of our kin, and we're not fighting about Balrog." And you know, thank you very much, but we're going home now. And so the folk of Durin. Um, they're now they're they've been dispossessed from Moria by the Balrog. They've been dispossessed from Erebor by the by the dragon, and they essentially became become wanderers. And in the words of the Hobbit, they go from being warriors and heroes to toy makers and and merchants. Um, and that sort of brings us up to the beginning of the Hobbit when Thorin and company show up on Bilbo's doorstep, and the rest, as we say, is history. And uh, I'd I'd I'd, uh, I'd like to point out that at that battle, uh, a a certain orc is actually killed, as opposed to uh, uh, secretly living on, which you know. I don't know why anyone would think he was secretly living on. Um, in a hypothetical world where they made a film adaptation of The Hobbit and they did that, that would be a travesty. But fortunately, <laughs> we don't live in that universe, so so it's okay. All right, so cultural virtues and rewards anything jump out to uh folks of the in those um my favorite was the broken spells is that what it what it is yes broken spells yeah yes that, that one's my favorite i i really like that one all right so tell us about broken spells i would love to <laughs> so it's to find it <laughs> page 107 oh sorry 107 thank you uh, broken spells. It's um, basically your 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 character knows, uh, as they put it, long remembered fragments of old spells, and it helps you to uh, you can open doors and hide, also hide you know objects or doors, and and can kind of, um, um, what is it? Spells of prohibition and exclusion, where you can uh, basically put an alarm system around your your camp with with some uh nearly forgotten dwarven spells um but yeah i just i just really liked that one i also really liked ravens of the mountain uh where you can have a, a, a raven um 
of the ancient breed living around the lonely mountain and you know you can talk to it and have it uh, do some things you know up to a certain point that that you know you can you can ask it to do some things for you but i uh, those those are the two i really really liked so i'm quite fond of the raven of the mountain um that is a pretty slick little yeah. uh thing and and honestly it is a huge boon to the lore master so we have a i have a player in my group right now who's playing a dwarf of the mountain um he's actually just just started with his character and uh, and he's chosen ravens of the Ma raven of the mountain for his cultural virtue so um he has used it one time um to essentially spy out uh, their enemies and avoid a potential ambush and it actually worked out quite well and it was really fun for me to actually role play the raven i'm not gonna lie i really got a kick out of that. <laughs> so, nice nice right i will also um just make one comment for those of you who are playing along at home that it was a pen enough that the durance folk, folk uh, section is in it's actually appendix a i do apologize for that i know that there are those of you out there who are quite attentive and would would get me on that so how dare you sir yes yes <laughs> uh for for me i i loved the stiff neck of the dwarves yeah. um, where you get to add your current shadow score to all roles yeah. involving the use of a common skill yeah yeah, Ben, that was Ben's cultural virtue when he was playing Doe for the Dwarf before his mm -hmm. heroic death. A heroic but ultimately pointless death. Um, he, um, <laughs> he he uh, has been, he he got quite a bit of mileage out of it. I would say I would say for like sheer sheer usefulness if you're looking to play a dwarf, Signic of the Dwarves as a virtue is pretty hard to beat. Were there any of the rewards that uh, you know, jumped out to folks, or? I think the virtues are probably a little bit cooler than the rewards, yeah. um, and that's, that kind of tends to be the case with a few exceptions. Um, however, I do have to say that the Helm of Awe is pretty cool. Um, and the reason for that is uh, when you read the Silmarillion, um, there's, you know, dwarf helmets and dwarf facial masks um, feature pretty prominently in uh, several stories, particularly that of uh, Turin Turinbar. And so I, I think that's sort of a neat thing. Uh, a Helm of Awe is a pretty pretty neat thing. And if you're making an Awe rule, which Awe, lest we forget, Awe is a very, very useful skill, not just in you know social interactions, but in combat. Um, you, can, you can intimidate your foes and actually drain their hate. And uh, for, for monsters with a craven attribute which most goblins and orcs have that you know once their hate gets drained they flee the battle and uh, so that that's that is not to be discounted nice now we get down to the age-old question why in middle earth would someone want to play a dwarf there there are two ways to answer this one is why would anyone want to play a dwarf because dwarves are dumb um i don't actually feel that way oh. but but oh, JM, okay. okay. But JM is not here, so I felt like somebody should do it. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, I don't think anybody who has who has read the Lord of the Rings can can help but fall in love with Gimli. I mean, I mean Gimli. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very like, true. My, yeah. One of my favorite parts of Lord of the Rings is when Gimli just totally nerds out on Legolas about the caves of Aglarond. 
he's just like, but Legolas, you don't understand. These are some caves. Like, they're not, I mean, it's like, caves. Call them. <laughs> caves. Like, they're, this is like, ah, I think I'd prefer some, some nice trees. And, and, you know, and, and that's, but it's such a, um, it's just such a, how do I, how do I say this? It's, it's a deeply touching moment. And one of the reasons it's deeply touching is that it, reminds us that Tolkien's dwarves have more to them than just the sort of stereotypical fantasy dwarf has now. Um, Christopher pointed out early on in this podcast that they they're, they are, of course, quite stubborn and quite vengeful and all these different things, and those things are true. But dwarves also have just a huge capacity for the appreciation of certain kinds of beauty. Uh, aside from the obvious, because Gimli is awesome answer, if you wanted to answer the question, why should you play a dwarf in the One Ring? It's because in Tolkien, you can play a dwarf that you know maybe has a, has a has a penchant for vengeance, but also who has has the the capacity and the ability to appreciate beauty of a certain kind more than any other people in Middle Earth. And uh, and I, I I just I think I think uh, Tolkien swords are are pretty cool. So. Yeah, I always liked when uh, Gimli gets uh, Galadriel's hair. That that always, I don't know, I, I always really liked that part of the story. And again, it's that, you know, um, finding beauty, seeing beauty in the world. But yeah, that, that's one of my favorite parts of the story. Did you see the, the meme that was going around this last week um, where it's a picture of Gimli from that scene and it in the movie, and he says... I asked them for one Hobbit movie. They gave me oh. three. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah, man. I was like, too soon, too soon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the burn is still is still fresh. So I, in in my own dwarven way, I am not likely to forget the injuries of that soon. Mm. All right, so I think we'll start with Richard on this one. As a lore master, how do you best speak to or call out dwarves? I think dwarves are one of the easier cultures to call out. Um, dwarves operate off of motivations, which most of us understand pretty well. The I, you know, some some other cultures giving giving your players and I, I sort of i guess it sort of depends on on how picky your players are about these sort of things but for my players they want not just what is my player motivation to go do this thing obviously my player motivation is i'm taking time out of my week to play your adventure but what is my character's motivation for this why do they want to go and do this thing like what's their motivation and so i think that the i think that the you know, dwarves are some of the easiest cultures to motivate simply from a, you know, why why would a dwarf go on this adventure? There might be a chance for him to turn a profit. Now, that's not going to be case the, true in every case. But, you know, dwarves are also quite loyal. They don't forsake friends in need. Um, Gimli is the one who says faithless is he who says farewell when the road darkens. So I think it's pretty easy to call them out in terms of motivation, in terms of uh, other things different cultures have different relationships with the dwarves and they're not always positive and so you have 
with dwarves a certain like you have an opportunity for some interesting friction with other cultures and that's something that we've been able to play a lot to in my game uh, we we you know starting out starting out my my campaign we had a dwarf and an elf Merkwood, and of course they're going to squabble um but their squabbling started out you know started out just kind of gentle squabbling and it sort of slowly over time turned into a mutual respect but neither wanted to really let the other know they respected each other and it was it was just fun it was really fun interaction that the players really enjoyed it Another way I think you can call dwarves out in your games is um, using some of the treasure rules. But the Rivendell supplement has some great rules for how to work magical treasure into your game. And of course, magical treasure has to be made somewhere. And uh, the one of the main three candidates for somebody who has made an ancient magical item, and, and you think, you know, is, is, is the dwarves in the elder days. And if you think about a lot of the magical items in the Lord of the Rings, the Silmarillion, um, uh, Aragorn, you know, the sword that was broken, Narsil, was, which was forged by Talcar the smith, um, as was Angris, the knife that Baron used to pry the Silmaril from Morgoth's crown, as was um, the, the dragon helm of Dor Loman, which was the helmet that Tur and Turinbar wore. Um, Talcar was a busy dude. And I think you have the opportunity, if you want to work some magical items into your, into your game, of giving the dwarves in your party an opportunity not just to not to just find a, a cool piece of gear but to reclaim an heirloom of their people and i think for the kind of person who might be likely to play a dwarf and certainly for a dwarven character that could be a very meaningful experience nice so chris from the player side of the table what do you like to see to draw out the dwarvenness of your character well, I mean, I, I, for for me, I mean, I, all you got to do is is look at the stories. Um, we have, you know, the hobby. You have uh, the dwarves are, are, you know, searching or, or trying to reclaim their their homeland. You have in Lord of the Rings when they go to Moria, you can see uh, another one of their homelands that has been lost. And I think that that is probably what I would want to do is have a dwarf that that's maybe not necessarily looking for their old home, but looking for something from uh you know the dwarven you know the golden age if you will and, you know we talked about um how when when arab war falls uh they largely become you know wanderers and and are exiles and i i think i think that aspect of 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 them of their culture is what really kind of you know, draws me to them you know this lost semi-lost um past the you know that they're they're not in their glory days anymore um they have you know they're 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 exiles they're on on the run essentially uh wandering around um so that that aspect of their culture is what i i, I really like and that, that i think that's that's what i would like to see in, in a character if i were to play them if you were to play them if i were to play them when, when I play, when, <laughs> when, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you play anything that isn't a dwarf ever? You know, there there have been times here and there. I'm I'm sure I can remember something if I try hard enough. Like a <laughs> like a very hairy halfling or something. You know, he's a halfling with a beard or or a, or a uh, yeah. <laughs> 
you know, I, I gotta say, in uh, in uh, my 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 dad was was telling me at a time um, playing D and i I'm not sure if he was running it or if he was playing in it, but a dwarf character was polymorphed into an elf, like permanently. Oh, and, and yeah. He had, he ended up ha- um, hating himself and and, and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I think that. something that's something that's interesting um, about Tolkien stories in general is kind of his his textual history with them, um, and that is up until almost the time that he wrote The Hobbit, Tolkien conceived of the dwarves originally as well originally as evil um his very first idea for the dwarves and this is way back in the book of of lost tales was his original idea for the dwarves was that they were an abortive attempt at making orcs by by melkor oh. um, it was called melko at the time melko you know two or three different attempts to make orcs and you know the byproduct product of one of those attempts was dwarves well, then dwarves sort of graduate from there to a position of what I will call cool neutrality. Um, they're they're not good guys, they're not bad guys, but they're not particularly nice people. In fact, they're quite cruel and vengeful. And there is this whole deal with the uh, the 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 curse of meme on the on the um, horde of Nargothrond in the original. And uh, in, in the Book of Lost Tales version of the of, of that particular story, of the Turin story, and is essentially the curse of Mean the dwarf, which brings all of the horrible stuff to pass in Turin's life. And there, I think Tolkien is riffing a little bit off of the uh, the 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 curse of the the Volsung treasure in the Volsung saga. Eventually. And, and, and basically, they stay in that sort of cruel neutrality position basically all the way up and until Tolkien starts writing the Hobbit draft. And as he starts writing the Hobbit draft, you have the dwarves come in, and they're definitely still not very heroic by that point. But they're getting there. They're not, you know, sort of for the first time, they're not awful. And by the time we get to the, the Lord of the Rings, um, the dwarves are quite sympathetic, and Gimli's, you know, I think, a favorite character of pretty much pretty much anybody who reads the books. And so it's just kind of interesting seeing their, obviously, obviously retaking Erebor for them is a, you know, their, their land, but it's also a sort of textual redemption for them. Um, that is when they move out of, uh, they move out of being the imps and demons of Norse mythology into being a playable fantasy race, if you will. And uh, that's something that we, we we can thank Tolkien for it. Without without the Hobbit and without the Lord of the Rings, dwarves would never have become that, and that's that's not insignificant. Interesting. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so, how would you run an all dwarf game? Let's just call it the Hobbit for ease of explanation. So I have this idea. I have this idea where this of treasure is taken by a dragon and there are these 13 dwarves and they need one more member of their company so that they don't have an unlucky number wait a minute i've heard this somewhere where have i heard this story (laughs) in all seriousness um there is in the it isn't in the core rules but in one of these supplements 
It's in it's in um, Over the Edge of the Wild. There is quite a bit in there about the Grey Delve, and the Grey Delve is this dwarven horde and ancestral home in the Grey Mountains, which was taken away from the dwarves first by the the great cold drakes and then by the goblins and in fact it is a subplot in the darkening of murderwarf who's on trying to recruit help to retake the great elf and uh, that is actually sort of an optional path that the campaign can take which is to you know which is to uh, go and retake the great delve and it takes several years because you have to fight a campaign against the goblins and whatnot various difficulties which the lore master is given to sort of present to the players they've got to they've got to help recruit men or you know so like they have to get a, a an army together to fight the goblins and then there's going to be treachery and you know paying mercenaries and all this different stuff so i think if i were going to run a uh an all dwarf campaign set in the one ring i would probably use the gray delve and adapt it somewhat and uh, have this be a group of dwarves who are going to, you know, regain, take back what's theirs, regain their ancestral homeland. And along the way, they're having to get help from people that maybe they typically wouldn't feel like, you know, going to for help. And that could make for a very interesting campaign. Excellent. Yeah, that would, that would be a lot of fun. A lot of, lot of opportunities for pitched battles, too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I I think honestly, you know, from my perspective, dwarves probably second only to humans would be one of the easiest races or cultures to run a game that everybody was from that same culture. Mm-hmm. They, they give you such a breadth and you don't have some of the limitations that maybe some of the other cultures might have in, you know, one area where they might be a little bit weaker. Um and they, they've got a you know a wide enough distribution that they they have a reason to be anywhere given that they've been wandering for years and I, I just think it could be pretty easy to pick up and I mean that story about you know finding homes fantastic um, but you really could go with anything well you know um, another opportunity which would present itself for an all dwarf campaign especially like a, a shorter campaign would be and again this is another darkening of Mirkwood subplot that's knocking around in my head right now would be the the reopening of the old dwarf road through Mirkwood um, that's something the dwarves really want mm-hmm. to do and you're actually given enough information about what it would take to do that as far as the obstacles you'd have to overcome that uh, you can make a pretty decent little all dwarf campaign of here's a group of dwarves that Dane has sent to get help from the woodmen of Mirkwood to reopen the old dwarf road. And, you know, maybe the elves wouldn't be so happy with that. Maybe the goblins would have something to say about that. Maybe, maybe scarier people would have something to say about that. You could, you could do a pretty interesting campaign um, based around that or really any of the other old strongholds or treasures of the dwarves. And, and, and of course, of course, one of these days, I want to run a darkening of Mirkwood style, like long format style, reclaiming Moria campaign. Ooh, and nice. the way it's yeah. the way it's going to work is we know what year Balin's expedition fails and and the the Balrog comes for them. So you're going to have to explore and reclaim each level by level by level, 
and each one is going to take a certain amount, certain amount of time. And your goal is to last longer than Balin lasted. <laughs> nice. But it's it's an idea I've been thinking about quite a bit. I mean, if you think about it, Moria is the original mother of all dungeon crawls. Yeah. And okay. uh, and you could you could have some real fun with it. I mean, think about all the cool stuff there would be to find in Moria. I mean, I just be, yeah, that that would be amazing. When do we start? <laughs> yeah. I'm down. I, I mean, I'm only running three games. I can throw another one in there. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> come on. What's going So anything else on dwarves before we finish up here? A bit of fun trivia about the names of the dwarves, which will maybe give you ideas where to look for your own dwarven names if you don't like the ones that are here in the game. Um, the Tolkien took the names of the uh, of Thorin's company, um, actually including Gandalf, from a list of dwarf dwarf names which are given in the Norse uh, poetic Edda, which is you know of course this work of corpus of Norse mythology. And there are several dwarves that are named in there, and uh, one of those dwarves, incidentally, is Gandalf, and the other dwarves are um, the ones that you're already familiar with from the books. And so all of the dwarves have, in The Hobbit, have Norse names. And that's that's one of those things that Tolkien did it be, uh, kind of on a whim because he was never, I think, planning on, or I'm not gonna say never, but he was not initially planning on basing, you know, The Hobbit in this other mythology that he'd been working on for so many years. And so when he came back around to it, he, he uh, said, well, this isn't consistent. They all have names that look like they're Norse and Kudzul, the language of the dwarves, is based on um, some Semitic languages and some other languages, and it shouldn't sound like Old Norse at all. And so the way that he explains this, on the other hand, the Manish languages of, of Wilderland do look a little bit like Old Norse. And so he, the way he explains this is that the dwarves don't tell their real names. They, they have secret names. They don't tell their real names and their real name and uh, they, you know, for for traveling outside of their own communities, they usually take Manish names as well. And that's how Thorne and company got all of their names. They, those are their Manish names. They're not their real dwarvish names. Their real dwarvish names, they don't tell to outsiders. Huh. <laughs> I'm, I'm full of interesting Tolkien trivia tonight <laughs> because Game and Ben are gone and we have to fill time, so. Yes. <laughs> I maintain that uh, you either like dwarves or you're wrong. All together now. <laughs> I am a dwarf and I'm digging a hole. Diggy, diggy, hole. Take a listen by yourself. <laughs> no, no, just by myself? Okay, that's fine. That's all right. Um, well, folks, we hope that we were able to inspire you to... Uh, play a dwarf or to run a story for dwarves and that uh, we've helped you improve your game from whatever side of the table you happen to be playing. You have been listening to The One Podcast. You can contact us with your questions and comments at theoneringpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Google Plus as The One Ring Podcast or on Twitter at The One Podcast. Thank you for listening.